All right, all right, everybody, welcome. Welcome to part two of this message that we split into two weeks. Last week was part one, this week, this is part two of an epic call to worship. An epic call to worship, part two. You know, I once heard a preacher ask the question, what stirs your affections for Christ? And that really stuck with me. For, I mean, that was probably like 10 years ago that I heard that, and it stuck with me because it's so important to be aware of what are the things that, that usher you into the presence of God? Because there, there are certain things that just have that effect on us, and um, you know they might be different. Yours might not be mine, but it's important to be aware of what are the things that stir your affections for Christ. For me, it always has to include some sort of version of enjoying the beauty of creation, especially now that I live in Colorado. It's like awesome here, year round. It's just been amazing. And, and really, it does have that effect on me. Like uh, a couple months ago, I went up the Manitou Incline, if you've ever done that, and it's amazing. You go up the staircase, and every time I took a break and I look back and you just see the beauty of God's creation and what it does to my heart, it's like, man, I'm just like, I love you, God. Like, that's, that's my response, and I feel close to him. I feel like, well, I'm probably closer to heaven going up the staircase, and I'm, and I'm praying to God, God, please spare my legs tomorrow from whatever this eternal staircase will do. And uh, so, yeah, you know, there's, there's things about God's creation. I also am really stirred up by a really well-told story, um, whether that's in a movie or long-form television, as is uh, more popular today, any of those things, if it's a really well-told story, that stirs my affections for Christ, even if it has nothing to do with God or the Bible, like any of that, if it's told really well, why? Because I've always believed that all beauty is God's beauty. And, and if it's made well, if it, if it, you know, if, it, if I look at it, I'm like, that was beautiful how they did that. My heart's like, God's awesome. <laughs> Even if that was not their intention at all, because I see signs in every well, good, you know, every well-told story, you'll see, you know, little themes of redemption, the need that things aren't the way they should be and they should be better. You know, you see all these things that it's just like eternity written in our hearts. And so that's why stories are that way for me. And, and so we always have to be aware of what are the things that stir our affections for Christ because... Our hearts need constant invitations to draw back into the presence of God. And I wish it, I kind of wish it wasn't like that, but that is really what it's like. I constantly need an invitation back into the God's presence, another invitation back into God's presence. So I don't know what you walked in here tonight with. Maybe you feel close to God, but maybe you don't. And, um, you know, it's kind of like when the, when the, hymn writer wrote that hymn, Come Thou Fount, there's that line, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. And maybe that's what you feel like tonight. Prone to wander. Not like I'm going to give up on God, you know, apostasy, I don't believe, none of that. It's prone to wander as in like, I'm just, I'm, I get distracted and I need to be invited back into the presence of God. So before we dive into God's word, I just want to come before God with an openness, with, with a readiness for what he wants to accomplish here tonight. And let's just agree. Let's agree right now before we even know what he's about to say through his word. Let's agree with him about what he says. And so we show up ready with our hearts open and, and maybe, you know, even our hands open to, to symbolize that our hearts are open. Let me pray as we start. Father, we, we, we're ready. Um, we have spent tonight already in your presence, invited back into your presence. And so, God, I just ask that 
we would continue to see the things that you are teaching us through your Holy Spirit, what he's inspired in the book of Ephesians. May it be so. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So just as a reminder, we are walking through this epic call to worship with the emphasis given inside the passage. Last week, I talked about it a bunch. The emphasis is the words in Christ. So as we continue to go through this passage, we got to keep that in mind. That's why points one and two of of part one were that we are chosen in Christ and that we are redeemed in Christ. So now we get to the third reason to praise God that Paul gives us inside this super long sentence is that, point three now, we are God's inheritance in Christ. We are God's inheritance in Christ. Ephesians chapter one Verse 11 and 12 say this, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Now the verse starts with that phrase, in him we have obtained an inheritance. The the phrase we have obtained can be better understood as we have become God's inheritance. That's the idea that, that's being presented here. I would say that the NIV version of the Bible really does a better job with this verse. The way the NIV translates it is that in him we also were chosen. It brings that word chosen back in, the idea that we belong to God. In him we have become his inheritance. So the idea is that we are God's legacy. I think that's a good way to understand what this verse is saying. In Christ, we have become God's legacy. We've become God's people. And every, every family has a legacy. And there's good things and bad things about a family legacy. We all have that. And um, I'm a part of a legacy. And so I brought a little bit of my history. Uh, here's a picture of my grandfather when he was 19 Can you see the similarities? (laughs) Um, When he was 19, my grandfather left the United States and he went to Mexico as a missionary, a single missionary at the age of 19. He was already ordained and um, things were clearly very different back then when he would tell me stories. He's already passed away about five years ago, but he would tell me stories and he had this awesome kind of Jeep looking vehicle and all these adventures that he had. And he was a missionary, planted many churches all throughout the country of Mexico. And one of the churches he planted was in Mexico City where my parents, and so here's a picture of my parents, um, they ended up partnering with my grandpa, there they are, Um, they ended up partnering with my grandpa in planting a church in Mexico City. So there's my dad, my mom, and then that's my older brother, William, when he was nine months old. That's when they went to Mexico, and they're still there. So that's where my parents live, in Mexico City, and they also are leading a church. And so they're in ministry, my grandfather's in ministry, my parents have been in ministry, and, um, you know, so I'm, in that sense, I'm part of their legacy, and my children are going to be part of my legacy as well. But the legacy I want them to live out is not my profession. It, it, I mean, they can if they want to. If, this is what, if they want to be in ministry like my parents and my grandfather was, that's great. There's definitely some advantages to that, but that's, that's not what I'm after. It's that they would live a life for God's glory. That's what I want for them. I'm like, you can pick whatever way you wanna, you wanna do it like grandpa or you know, great grandpa, any of those things, great. But here, here's what we're coming to. I'm like, I want you to live for God's glory. Because we all have a family legacy. But for some of us, that legacy 
is painful. It, it hurts when it's broken in our families. We all long for our families to bless and encourage us. I think we're good with the picture. You can take it down. <laughs> we all long, that, long for that. We want our families to bless and encourage us. But if that's broken for you, I just want you to hear me when I say that God's grace to you is that you have a legacy in God's family. He gives you a legacy because he makes you his legacy. In Christ, you have spiritual fathers and mothers, and if you are a part of New Life Church and you attend any of these congregations, and you, give, you know, take the time to get to know some of the people here, you will find some amazing people who love Jesus Christ. And you can build a relationship inside the family of God that might be God's grace to you for something that's broken in your family. You might find something that's God's grace to you through his family, through the church of Jesus Christ. Because we are adopted, we are God's chosen legacy. That blows my mind because he chose us, right? We're adopted into his family. He's saying, you are my chosen legacy and we are God's chosen inheritance in Christ. What he's saying is you have a place to belong here in God's family. Then Paul says that we have been, he says that we're predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So this is what it means that God is sovereign. And the way I like to think about God's sovereignty is I view it as God is above everything. So think of it almost in physical ways or, or representing the fact that whatever you think is important, whatever hierarchy you have, whatever val set of values, whatever it is in this world, God stands above all that, okay? And he has full freedom to act how he wishes to act, to do the things he wants to do. He's God. He is the sovereign God. And so I think of it in that way that he's, he's the one who stands and above everything and he works everything out because he's the one who stands above everything. Now the temptation is to go down the rabbit trail right now and start talking about, okay, so how exactly does God work all things according to his will? And, and this could take you know, a very, very long time to talk about. It's definitely a rabbit trail we could start talking about. Okay, so what is, what does God do versus what does he allow? It's less of a, you know, do more of an allow. Or if I turn my head to the left, is, is it because God moved my head? Or if I turn it to the right, or if I go off stage and I find, you know, someone and I slapped him on the face, it's because, hey, God, God did everything. He's over everything, right? Like, you know, sorry, you can't blame me. So we're not gonna go down that trail. Why? Because that's not the point of the passage. The point of the passage is that he predestined us in Christ. He's working all things in Christ. So let's think about it that way. What is he working out in Christ? Yes, God is working out your sin in Christ. When we talked about this last week, God, the big picture of what God was doing, we had a problem we could not solve. And our sin was that problem. And in Christ, that problem is worked out. There is no sin too great that Christ cannot forgive, and the way he works it out is by dying on the cross, and now forgiveness can be offered. And so it's worked out in that sense. There's whatever it is, whatever it is we've committed, whatever sin we've committed, it can be worked out in Christ. But it's not just the things that we've done. It's also the things that have been done against us. Because the reality is, is we all have pain on our heart that it's not because we did something wrong that that thing happened to us. It has nothing to do with what you did. 
It's something that someone else did against you and it was not right for them to do that. And in Christ, those things are also being worked out. They're being worked out in many different ways. Any sort of broken relationship that you have, now in Christ, there can be healing. And you will see some relationships do get healed and some don't, but even on the ones that don't, Jesus Christ is with you through that process. You're not alone. He will be your strength, he will be your comfort, and so he's working all these things out, all these wounds that we have, and even if you've received, you know, if you've been the recipient of great injustice on this planet, Jesus Christ is working it out. The same one who died on the cross is the same one who's coming back to judge the living and the dead. What he's saying is, I'm gonna make all these things right one day, okay? I'm working it out. I'm working your sin out, and I'm working all the sins of people committed against you. I'm working it out. It's all gonna be done in Christ. That's what this passage is saying. And for all the talk that we have about God's will, I wanted to present this sentence to you because I really, it really ministers to me to know that nowhere in scripture is the will of God more revealed than in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I underlined the word revealed because I'm saying it's not revealed at the level it is in the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Everything in this book is about that. And, and, and God's will is revealed in his life. Now, that does not mean, I'm not saying that God's not revealing anything else anymore. He's not leading us. He's not showing us the way that we should live anymore. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that the biggest way that he revealed it was in the life of Jesus. Because so many times for us as young adults, um, like one of the main questions we wrestle with is we come to a fork in the road in our lives and we're like, should I go to the left or should I go to the right? And, uh, and so we're like, what's God's will? Should I go to the left or should I go to the right? Well, let's start here because this is the biggest way that God has revealed his will and it's in the life of Jesus. So you look at his birth and Jesus was born here on earth and we're to be born again is what he tells us. And we're to be born of the spirit. And when you, when you are that, you're in his will, you're in what he's revealed when you, you know, Jesus lived a life and he lived a life that was on mission for the father. All throughout the gospels, you see him saying that I'm here because my father sent me or I'm here to do my father's will. And so in the same way, we live a life now on mission for God. We want to live for God's glory. And if we do that, we are in God's will. And, and the life that we now live, Paul says in Galatians that we don't live it, we live it in Christ. It's, it's Christ living in us, just like we've been talking about. That's now grace through you. It's not just grace in you, it's grace through you. So you live that life and Jesus dies, and we have to die too. The death of self. So all the things that we think are, are you know, the best way of living, all that's nothing to us when you're in Jesus Christ. It's, it's my way, dead to that. Dead to that, not my way. I wanna be alive to Jesus' way. And so we die to ourselves, and Jesus also at the third day, he rises from the dead. He, he comes to life again. He, he's resurrected on that third day, and the same power that raises Jesus from the dead is the power that's now inside of you. 
Do you see how this is God's revealed will through Jesus Christ? That's what he's calling you into. That's what he wants for every single one of you. And I'm telling you, if you ever come to me with a question of like, should I go right or left in this decision? I'm always going to try to point you back to these things. Because if we can say, okay, yes, I see these things happening in my life. Man, deciding the fork in the road is actually way easier than you might think. Because if you're living out the things that are revealed in Jesus Christ, guess what? The answer is just like, pick. Do you want to go left? Do you want to go right? I don't know. I want to go left. Well, great. Do that. It's not, you don't have to torture yourself over this if you're living out the revealed work of a will of God in Jesus Christ. That's the important part. That's what we need to hold on to, that we see God's will revealed in Jesus Christ. So the more you live in that space, the more you are in God's will. All right. Now, between verses 12 and 13, there's a shift of pronoun. I just wanted to mention real quick because verse 12 says that so that we who are the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. Then verse 13 starts by saying, in him you also. So it switches from we to you, which just begs the question, what's going on here? Why did that happen? Now, some people think that the we is referring to um, the Jewish believers. So Paul's saying we as the Jews are, you know, all these things, and then you also, verse 13, is now to the Gentiles, and the idea behind that is because the gospel does come to the Jew first, then to the Gentiles, that's what the book of Romans talks about, but that's not what Paul's getting at here, I don't think that's what's happening, and the main reason for that is because in chapter 2, Paul is going to use the phrase, you Gentiles, he's going to specifically speak to the Gentiles in chapter 2, but he, and he could have done that, but he does not do that here in chapter one. So I don't think he's switching it. I think it's as simple as we, when he says we in chapter one, he's saying all of us Christians, so me, Paul, and you Christians in Ephesus, Jews and Gentiles all together, that's the we. Then verse 13, he switches and says, and you, all, <laughs> the only switches, he's just not including himself anymore. So it's like, why doesn't he include himself? Makes perfect sense, because verse 13 is about when they hear the gospel. And who's the one who went to share the gospel with him? It was Paul himself. So it makes sense that he would say, and, and you, when you heard, he's saying, when I, when I came to Ephesus and I shared the good news. So that's why that little switch happens right there. Okay, so um, we are God's inheritance in Christ. And then this final point for this message, point four, is that we receive the Holy Spirit in Christ. We receive the Holy Spirit in Christ. So continuing there in verse 13 and 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So two things happen there in those verses with the Holy Spirit. It says that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit and that the Holy Spirit is our guarantee but notice the verse talks about these two things with the Holy Spirit happening, and it gives us the when. When do those things happen? Paul says it's when they heard the good news and they believed. When they heard the good news and they believed, that's when these things happen with the Holy Spirit. So I, I just love that. As, it's such a great picture of understanding what salvation is, that they heard the good news and they believed in him. So I've asked three volunteers Go ahead and come on up, guys. We're going to illustrate this as best we can. Can we just give a little encouragement here to our volunteers? And <laughs> they decided to take the long way here, so I have to stall a bit. Um, <laughs> 
So we're going to illustrate this, and um, we're going to illustrate how the picture of salvation is for those who hear the good news and believe in him. So here on stage, we have Briggs, Victoria, and Taylor. Briggs, you're going to stand over here on this corner. Taylor and Victoria, you guys over there. All right, so here is our illustration. Briggs is going to represent Jesus, okay? And I get to represent God the Father. So every illustration has limitations because the Trinity and all that stuff. Okay, but just for this illustration, I'm God the Father, Briggs is, is Jesus, and then Victoria and Taylor, they represent all of humanity, okay? So they are us. It's kind of like, you know, Adam and Eve. We have a man and a woman here. All of humanity represented, and... Um, and so he, here's how the whole story of creation starts. Here, get off the rug, because the rug's going to be part of this. Um, so, uh, so we create the world with the Holy Spirit, who's not here. But we create the world, and, uh, and we create humanity, and we say, okay, we, we love all this stuff. This is awesome. Look at all the things we've made. Awesome. We think humans are awesome. This is such an awesome thing. Very good. Good job, us. Um, and then we say, okay, now, listen to us, guys. The only thing you can't do is jump over here. Because right now, for this line, we're going to say, we're on the shore, and this is the water, okay? Now, we're on the shore, and the one thing you can't do is jump in that water because you can't swim, okay? You will die. You will die if you jump in that water. So just don't jump in the water, and you'll be fine. And what does humanity do? Jumps in the water. All right, here we go. There they go. Perfect. <laughs> They are now in the water. Now, here's the thing. Just like God has said, they're, they're done for, okay? They are drowning inside this water. There's nothing they can do. See? I like that. I picked the right people. They are drowning. They're done for. And so then over here, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they say, okay, what are we going to do about this? They, they jumped in the water. They, they, you know what they deserve? What they deserve is for us to do nothing. Yeah, they broke the rules. We told them, don't jump in there, you'll die. And they're like, let's do this. So, um, but here's the thing. I really love them. We really love them, okay? So, so here's what we're gonna do. I'm gonna send you. Jesus is going to be sent. And now, here's the thing. Jesus is the only one who can go into this water. There's literally no other person for all of human history, and never will be someone who can do what he's about to do. So only he can do this. He's the only one strong enough to make it through the waters to go reach them. Now, here's the thing, Jesus, or Briggs, I don't know, whatever I'm supposed to say, but um, Briggs, who's representing Jesus, um, you are going to save all who believe in you, okay? So you're going to go, you're going to swim to them, then you're going to offer your arm to them, and if they believe in you, then you'll save them. Okay, so then here goes Jesus. He goes swimming to save people, and <laughs> and, so, and, so, and so Jesus is like, we don't want you to die, so all you have to do is just believe, believe in his plan, believe that this is, this is what he offers, and so he offers his arm. Victoria, you get to go first. Oh, she takes hold of the arm, so she believes that Jesus is who he says he is, and so then Jesus does what only Jesus can do. He brings her back here. All right. Okay, now Victoria is safe, safe and sound on the shore, okay? Oh, everyone's happy for Victoria. <laughs> and then, uh, so then Jesus gets back in the water and he goes to try to save Taylor, and then he, he offers the same thing. He says, you know, believe in me, I can save you, and then Taylor, looks at him, he's like, yeah, but I don't even think your arm's real, actually. I, I don't think you're real. 
I, I don't think you can do this. I'm, I'm not exactly sure you exist. And, uh, you know, Taylor's like, I found this piece of seaweed. I'd rather, you know, I'd rather trust in this for salvation. Or, or I think I can save myself. I'll figure this swimming thing out over time. He has all these reasons. So he, he says, no, I don't, I don't believe this. And so then Jesus, he doing exactly what the Father says, save all those who believe in you. And so then he comes back to shore. And then Taylor, bad news, buddy. It just, it does not work out well for you in the end, okay? So you can just, just sit down right there for a little bit. All right. <laughs> Okay, so here, here's why we, you know, I take the time to show this picture. I, I want to point out two things. One, in this illustration, who did the saving? It, it was the Jesus figure that does the saving, and all that Victoria did, she just believed that he was who he said he was. She just believed what he had said. And, and sometimes when we look at salvation, it's almost like, okay, just because you believe, somehow you think you're a part of it. You're not a part of it. The saving happened here. If he had not gone for her, nothing good would have happened. There was no saving. So the saving happened by God. This is why scripture talks about it in this way. It says salvation belongs to the Lord. It's not about the us. It's about what God does. And so anytime, anytime you have a heightened sense of the us, the saved ones, that's probably not leading you in the right direction. It's about the one who saves. That's how scripture talks about it. So he's the one who saved. And then the second point I want to make is that who would we celebrate in this illustration? So let's say you guys were all Victoria's friends. She makes it to shore, and we're like, way to go, Victoria. No, we wouldn't do that. We would be like, way to go, Briggs slash Jesus. You know, we'd be like, oh my goodness, that's so amazing because he's the one who saves. So he's the one who saves, and he's the one who should be celebrated. All right, that's it, guys. Sorry, Taylor, you didn't make it, but... <laughs> they did great. They did great. Um, so, <laughs> so God saves those who believe in Christ. And believing, let me clarify, believing is not just, um, you know, it's not like believing in a fictional character. It's not just thinking that it's real. Believing in Christ means that you believe Jesus was who he claimed to be. Okay, you have to believe Jesus' version of Jesus, not someone else's version of Jesus. You have to believe who Jesus claimed to be, and that's why the word belief can be translated just as easily as the word trust. And you see in that picture, why is that trust? It's because when you believe in Jesus, you're, saying, you're putting your, your life in his hands. You're saying, I trust you with my faith, with my life, and that belief will change your life forever. This belief in Jesus, it changes you forever. You will never be the same. You will never look the same after you truly believe in Christ. And when you believe, you receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying that believing in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, these things go together. They go together. Now, <laughs> what's fascinating about this is that in Acts chapter 18, which is the story of the beginning of the church in Ephesus, um, those two things didn't happen exactly at the same moment. Paul shows up, and, and they believe in Jesus, and then he's like, but, but is it, you know, have you received the Holy Spirit? And they're like, who's that? That's their response. They don't even know who the Holy Spirit is. So then Paul ends up praying for them and laying hands on them, and then they receive the Holy Spirit. So you're like, okay, so what's going on here? I thought Paul said that when they hear and believe, then they receive the Holy Spirit. Well, you have to understand what's happening in the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, you will see what I call the rolling out of the Holy Spirit. 
And it happens specifically through the work of the apostles as the foundation of the church, which is what is presented even in the book of Ephesians. We're going to talk about this more later on in later chapters. So what's happening is Jesus promised the Holy Spirit. That's why he's called the promised Holy Spirit. And then at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes, but it doesn't come just after anyone preached the sermon. He comes after the apostle Peter preaches a sermon. You see this picture. What God is saying is these apostles are my apostles. That's why I'm sending my Holy Spirit through them, and they are, they are the ones preaching and laying on hands, and the Holy Spirit shows up. And so for the church in Ephesus, it, it shows up through Paul. It's the rolling out of the Holy Spirit, and yet notice that now Paul is writing this letter some seven years after, and he just talks about it as like they just go together. Why? Because now the Holy Spirit has been rolled out. That process has happened through the apostles, and now he says, you received him when you believed, when you heard the good news, and when you believe. And, the, and those who are saved get the Holy Spirit in two ways here in Ephesians 1. Here are the two things he talks about. One, you receive the Holy Spirit as the seal. The seal is God's mark of ownership in your life. The Holy Spirit is God's mark of ownership in your life. It's like those stickers, you know, made in China, made in the USA. That, the Holy Spirit's that. He, he's, he sealed you. He's saying you belong to him. And when you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, over time, you will exhibit the fruit of the Holy Spirit. In Galatians, we talk about the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, all these things that come from those who have the Holy Spirit. So I want you to think about this this way. If you've ever loved someone that's not of yourself in such a way that you're like, that's not from me. That has to be from God because I would not choose to love this person, and yet I do love them. If, if, that, if you've experienced that, that's a fruit of the Holy Spirit, and that's God saying to you, you're mine. If you ever wonder, what's, do I see evidence of the Holy Spirit? Think of those fruits and think, do I ever experience joy that's beyond what would be of myself? That if I look at my circumstances, I'm like, there's no reason to have joy right now, and yet I still have a joy. I have a delight in God's purposes and his plans, and that's not of me. That's an evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life, and that's God saying, you're mine. I've sealed you with the Holy Spirit. And the second picture he gives us of the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit is the guarantee. That's what verse 14 says, that he is the guarantee, which in common terms, it would be translated as the down payment. The Holy Spirit's the down payment. It's just like when you're buying a car, if you've ever bought a car and you go to the dealership and they're like, how much is this car? And they're like, $500,000, you can buy this car. And you're like, well, I don't have $500,000, but I do have $1,000. So if I give you this $1,000, then the bank will pay the rest. And your down payment is $1,000. What does that represent? It, it represents you telling the bank that because I'm giving you these $1,000, I am committing and I'm showing you that I will pay the rest of my monthly payments until... I pay off this very, very expensive car. And, and it's the way you guarantee it. That's why it's translated. He's the guarantee. He's the down payment. And we aren't awesome. Maybe you haven't paid your monthly payment on your car. Uh, we failed. But see, God is the one putting this down payment. And what he's saying is the Holy Spirit is your guarantee that God's going to fulfill what he's accomplishing. And what specifically is he talking about here? He's talking about the day of redemption. The day of redemption is something Paul loves to talk about in all his letters, and um, sometimes he doesn't even say day of redemption, he just say the day, and it's kind of like a wink in his eye, like as he writes, when the day comes, like he's, he's alluding to the day of redemption, 
that refers to when Jesus is gonna come back and the dead in Christ are gonna rise again. He's going to establish his kingdom and everyone will know it. There will be no doubt who is king and we will live with him forever. That's coming, that's still to come in the day of redemption. And even though we know that's coming, the reason that you can be confident that that day is coming is because you have the Holy Spirit today. The Holy Spirit in your life right now, today, is your guarantee, it's your down payment that that day is coming. And for all those days where you're like, man, you look around and you're like, things are so messed up. Things are so messed up. Hold on to the fact that you see the Holy Spirit working and moving today, because that's your, that's your way of knowing, hey, but this isn't forever. I know that day's coming because the Holy Spirit is working in my life right now. I get to see the fruit of his life in me, through me. So our journey through this book of Ephesians starts with worship. It starts with a, a, a call to worship. And I love that. And I hope you see that's why we prioritize worship here at NLYA so much. Because so much starts right here, positioning ourselves rightly before God, and that happens in worship. In worship, we're acknowledging that God is the one we're praising, not anyone on a stage, not anyone in this room. We're praising God. And when we worship, it's acknowledging our position before him, and that's why we value this so much. You know, I spend time with Danny and Donica, and we plan these sets, and, and, and we talk about what it is that we're trying to build, and that's exactly what we're trying to build. We're trying to beckon you guys trying to call you guys to worship God and that you would respond to him because so much of what you think you don't have, maybe some of that needs to start in worship. Maybe you're like, I, I, I'm thinking about this in my life. I really need this. That's, all those needs can be exact, you know, completely real. But have you started growing as a worshiper? It, it so much starts in worship. In the Old Testament, when you're talking about God's people, they were known as the worshipers of God. Just simply identified by understanding that those people, they worship God, that's who they worship. Not just singing the songs, yes, singing the songs. Not just lifting their hands, yes, lifting their hands. But it's, it's real. It's really in their hearts that they are living to worship God. And because this passage is a, is a call to worship, I want you to think about moments when you don't feel like worshiping, because we all have them. It's not like we show up every single Tuesday night and we're like, I'm, I'm just so ready. Maybe sometimes that happens, but sometimes it doesn't. But when you think about those moments that you don't feel like worshiping God, when you feel like you need help to build up your faith in order to sing, well, <laughs> that's when I want you to think about these things from Ephesians chapter one. I want you to specifically think about the fact that you are chosen in Christ. God could have left you and me lost forever. He could have done that. And he would have been just in doing that. But he chose to make a way to save us. You are chosen in Christ. You are redeemed. That means you don't have to live a life of slavery anymore. Sin isn't your master anymore. You'll still wrestle with it but it's now possible for you to win some of those battles because you are in Christ. And that's a reason to respond in praise to God. Think about the fact that God is working all things in a way that we don't see. We don't always see the things he's up to. And in Christ, God, God takes what's really, really broken and he makes beautiful things come out of those broken things. And then finally, I want you to think about the fact that you're not alone. 
you have the promised Holy Spirit. If you're in Christ, you have the promised Holy Spirit. He prays when you don't know what to pray. <laughs> and I've been there. Sometimes I'm like, what do I say? The Holy Spirit prays when you don't know what to pray. And he's the power for God's grace to now flow through you. It is the way you're going to be able to live the Christian life. It's because the Holy Spirit is the power for you to live that life. So on that difficult day, in that difficult moment, I want you to come back to Ephesians chapter one and remind yourself that we are chosen in Christ, we are redeemed in Christ, we are God's inheritance in Christ, and we receive the Holy Spirit in Christ. And that is what Paul is calling us to respond in worship. Let's stand together. And then I'll close in prayer. Father, thank you that we got to gather to praise your name. And for all the things that are distracting us, we're so thankful that you meet us here. You meet us in the quiet. You meet us in the celebration. You meet us where we're at, but you don't leave us where we're at. And we thank you that you've, you've called us into this here tonight. And through the work of your spirit in Paul, we're now called into the same call to worship that he's presented to us. Thank you for the things that you've done. Thank you for the things you continue to do. And how we long for the day where you will make all these things right. You're working all things in Christ. But until that day comes, we will be the ones praising you. Until that day where everyone will acknowledge that Jesus is king, we're going to be the ones today acknowledging that Jesus is king. Because he's the one who saved us today. And he's the one who's saving us progressively. There's things you're still doing us and you're saving us out of sin and out of terrible situations and healing and restoring and doing the things you do. You're saving us but you're also going to save us on that day of redemption. And that's not anything we could have ever done, God. So that's why these songs we bring to you. That's why we lift up our hands and our voices and everything that we do. We do it to respond to the work of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray and we sing this song. In his name we pray, amen, amen. Let's sing to the Lord. never fails will not fail me now you won't fail me now in the waiting the same God who's never late is working all things out you're working all things out yes I will lift you high in the lowest valley
Amen. Amen. All right. To close tonight, here's what I want to do. I'm going to read this call to worship to you from a different translation. This is a message translation. And here's what we're going to do. We are going to respond to this call of worship. We're going to respond to what it is that Paul is beckoning us to, what he's inviting you and me into. So as I read through it, if there's a specific phrase that stood out to you the last couple of weeks, I just want you to respond to that. Lift up your voice and say, yes, or amen, whatever. And you're like, that's a little awkward. That's okay. All right. It can be a little awkward. We are going to lift our voice in response, not to me, but to God's word, to what it is that he's saying. And, and what you're going to see, I want you to see how this whole passage is a crescendo. It just keeps going bigger and bigger. All right, here we go. So you respond in praise as you feel led. And then we're going to sing just a little bit more. And this is how we're going to end tonight. Ephesians chapter one says this, how blessed is God and what a blessing he is. He's the father of our master, Jesus Christ, and takes us to the high places of blessing in him. Long before he laid down the earth's foundations, he had us in mind, had settled on us as a focus of his love to be made whole and holy by his love. Long, long ago, he decided to adopt us into his family through Jesus Christ. What pleasure he took in planning this. He wanted us to enter into the celebration of his lavish gift giving by the hand of his beloved son. Because of the sacrifice of the Messiah, his blood poured out on the altar of the cross. We are a free people, free of penalties and punishments chalked up by our misdeeds and not just barely free either, abundantly free. <laughs> He thought of everything, provided for everything we could possibly need, letting us in on the plans he took such delight in making. He set it all out before us in Christ, a long-range plan in which everything would be brought together and summed up in him, everything in deepest heaven, everything on planet Earth. It's in Christ that we find out who we are and what we are living for long before we first heard of Christ and got our hopes up. He had his eye on us, had designs on us for glorious living, part of the overall purpose he is working out in everything and everyone. It's in Christ that you, once you heard the truth and believed it, this message of your salvation, found yourselves home free, signed, sealed, and delivered by the Holy Spirit. This down payment from God is a first installment on what's coming, a reminder that we'll get everything in God has planned for us, a praising and glorious life. Come on, lift up your voice and pray. Yes, we give praise to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Come on, say.